Imagine being the bat boy for the New York Yankees in the 1970s and 1980s. What did that bat boy learn from Yankees owner George Steinbrenner, Reggie Jackson, Billy Martin, Mickey Mail, and other Yankees? Buckle on up. You are about to find out. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, where we interview remarkable world-class experts that help bring out the greatness within you. Top book authors, super successful business people, and outstanding special guests that will motivate and inspire you with their incredible, uplifting stories and life-changing tips and strategies. Our goal is your success. If you desire more out of life, you've dialed into the right show. So fasten your seatbelts, friends, and let's get ready for some high-octane motivation. Now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest today was the bat boy for the New York Yankees in what was known as the Bronx Zoo days of the 1970s for baseball's most tumultuous and winning team. He became an influence in the clubhouse and favorite of Billy Martin, Reggie Jackson, Thurman Munson, and the boss himself, George Steinbrenner. 46 years or so later, he is now a community consultant for the New York Yankees. He is also an inspirational speaker who passionately shares lessons learned from his experience with the Bronx Bombers. His special relationship with Steinbrenner and what it was like hanging around some of baseball's immortals. Welcome to the Motivation Show, Ray Negrone. Thank you, my brother. It's good to be on. And uh, any friend of Patsy's is a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, and I know you're talking about the one and only Patsy's at 236 West 56th Street in Manhattan. Makes a mean shrimp parmesan, right, Ray? The best in the world. And as a matter of fact, the shrimp marinara is my favorite. So, you know, that's where I like to go. Absolutely. And Chef Sal, you know, he'll take care of anybody coming from anywhere. That's right. That's right. I'm just nice. It's nice to be on a non-controversial show for once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ray, you know, you just put your foot in your mouth because I'm going to get into a little bit of controversy, but I have a feeling you won't mind if I do. So Let's you do started it. out your Yankee career actually doing something you weren't supposed to be doing as a teenager. Can you tell us that story? 1973, we were outside Yankee Stadium and, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we started doing graffiti, which is what we did in that era. That was, you know, the era where the Bronx was burning and everything else. And next thing you know, a car drives on the sidewalk. Two guys jump out. I trip over one of the guys. I'm caught. I'm put in a holding cell, getting ready to be sent to the 44th precinct. And then when this, the one security guard says to the other guy, good, that's where he belongs. You can't do anything for these people. And all of a sudden, something ticked in the other guy, and he told the guy to shut up. And then he said, give me the kid. And next thing you know, they were dragging me into the Yankee locker room. They were giving me a uniform, and the guy said, you have a choice. You either work off your damages by being uh, the Yankee bad boy tonight, or you go to jail. So I wasn't that dumb. I took the job as a bad boy. And the guy that gave it to me was none other than George Steinbrenner. That's really a remarkable story because, uh, boy, there's a lot worse punishments than being the Yankee bad boy, right, Ray? You better believe it. I mean, to this day, 48 years later, it's still the best job I've ever had. 
So how else did it start with the Yankees? What are one of your favorite Yankee stories from back then? There are too many. All I, all I can say is that the first day that I was in the Yankee locker room, we had a player by the name of Ron Bloomberg, and he knew what had happened. First designated hitter. That's right. And uh, he looked at me, and he was always a jokester. And so he started screaming in the clubhouse, hide your bats, hide your gloves. <laughs> this guy's going to steal everything, you know? <laughs> and uh, next thing you know, we came over. He said, sorry, I just, this is how we kid around in the clubhouse. And uh, that, that was the start of, a, of a, number one, a great friendship with Ron Bloomberg and uh, the magical mystery tour of being with the Yankees. You know, I actually wrote Ron Bloomberg a letter like five months ago. I haven't heard back. Maybe I'm going to have to get you to connect because I was trying to get him on my show, believe it or not. First oh, designated hitter in baseball. Yeah, absolutely. He's a great story and uh, fascinating, as, as is all the people you connected with. So what was it like working for the boss, George Steinbrenner? Tell us about that. Well, as I got older, he started to, um, number one, I think he was proud of the fact that I didn't let him down because after that first game, he came down to the locker room and then he came over to me and he said, did you enjoy your job? And I said, yes, very much. He said, well, you want to keep it? And I said, I would love to. And he said, then you don't let me down. He said, don't break my heart because I've gone to bat for you and I expect for you to do the same for me. And I like to think that all these years later, I'm still not letting him down. Wow. I love that. That's such a great metaphor for how people should be with their family, with their friends and life in general. What a great lesson. So, uh, you know, a lot of people think of uh, George Steinbrenner. They appreciate his championships, but some people think that he was kind of a gruff, tough guy. In some cases, some people think he was mean. Uh, what are your was, thoughts was, about that reputation? He was all of that. He was all of that. And yet the best man I've ever known in my life. Wow. Okay. You know, because business is one thing and life and having a heart for people is it was another. And I'm going to give you a classic example of him. It, it wasn't always easy for me working with the Yankees, especially in those days, because there were people who, in essence, were not happy that I was there for whatever the reasons. And, uh, you know, I was poor. I was colored. I was from that neighborhood. And so there were times where some of the neighborhood kids would be there, you know, and uh, outside. And for years, you know, we could never go in. Why couldn't we go in? I want you to answer that question. Well, hopefully it's not because they're prejudiced. No, very simple. A very simple answer. We didn't have money. Okay. And so there were times where when people weren't looking, I would sneak them in the park. I would take them to the upper deck because the upper deck was empty. Every once in a while, there would be one security guard or another who would see me doing this, and they couldn't wait to run to Mr. Steinbrenner and say, Negron is doing it again, you know? And I, one time in particular, this guy did that. And so Steinbrenner says, get Negron in here right now. And so then the guy went and found me, and he says, Mr. Steinbrenner wants you. This is going to be your ass, okay? And I said, okay. And so then we, uh, we walk into the office and Mr. Steinbrenner goes, I got it from here, Pat. Good job. And the guy gives him a wink and he leaves. 
And uh, Mr. Steinbrenner says to me, how many? And I said, <laughs> I said, 13. And he went into his pocket. He pulled out two $100 bills. And he said, get them hot dogs, peanuts, Cokes, whatever they need. If you run out of cash, come back. Wow. And that was, and that was my punishment. Such a classic story. You know, but that's who he was. And there were, there were many, many. Okay. One time he was giving me a ride home and we had to go through this, (laughs) this neighborhood and it was really rough and it was messed up. And he goes, Jesus, imagine having to come home to this every day. And I said, Mr. Steinbrenner, I do come home to this every day. And that was a, like a real awakening for him because it made him understand the concept of what the Bronx is really all about. The Bronx wasn't just that corner of where Yankee Stadium sat, you know. The Bronx wasn't just crossing the Third Avenue Bridge and there's the stadium. The Bronx was the aspect of when you keep on going south or keep on going north or keep on going east or keep on going west, what are you going to find, you know? And he learned that. He learned that. That's why one time when uh, when Joe DiMaggio got mad and because his tickets weren't there, and he was supposed to throw out the first pitch, when Joe DiMaggio didn't do it, the boss got a kid from the neighborhood to throw out the first pitch. So DiMaggio's tickets weren't there? They messed up. And, mess and up. somebody wouldn't recognize... Joe D himself, one of the most famous people on the planet, and say, hey, Joe, of course, you don't need tickets. Come right on in. <laughs> hey, but you know what? You know, for me, it was that look who threw out the first pitch in the World Series. A little kid from the neighborhood. Well, that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a great inspirational story. It's, it basically tells you that, you know, anything is possible. Hey, when the kid was doing that, I said, I hope they don't find Joe's tickets every night. (laughs) (laughs) That's classic. And so I understand you also had some really good friendships with uh, manager Billy Martin and slugger uh, Reggie Jackson, who uh, famously, you know, in the 1970s uh, had a classic scene there, which is infamous, you know, Billy pulling uh, Reggie out of of a game. Uh, and Reggie not exactly liking it and having that classic argument in the dugout. Uh, Tell us about your relationship with both. I knew Billy first. Uh, When I was a bat boy, one day I was standing at shortstop. I used to, because I I played ball. I could play a little bit. And so uh, I was standing at shortstop. He was managing the, uh, he was managing the Texas Rangers. And so what had happened was I was just standing at shortstop during batting practice while the Rangers were taking batting practice. And next thing I know, a ball came at me and hit me right between the legs. And it was Billy Martin. And he said, you want some grounders? So I said, do it. And he started hitting me ground balls. And that's how our friendship started. And then when uh, the following year, what had happened was, it was old timers day. We were at Shea Stadium. I had never met Mickey Mantle, and that was my hero. And so all the young players on the team felt like I did. When we were intimidated because that was the Mick, you know what I'm saying? That was the Mick. So everybody came to me, the young players like Tippy Martinez and Dave Pagan, guys like this kid would come to me and say, hey, ask Mickey to, to sign uh, this baseball for me. So, you know, that's what you do when you're a bat boy. You do the errands around the clubhouse. 
And so I went over to Mantle. I asked him to sign the baseball, if he would sign the baseballs. So he signed two balls and another player came up to me. So then two more balls. And then another player came up to me. So I go there like the third time. And Manza says, man, get the F out of here with those. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, my God. I ran, I ran to the back of the clubhouse where no one could see me because Mickey Mantle just told me to go F myself. You know what I'm saying? I was like. One too many asks. But it, 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 it's just the Mick. That was the Mick. Yeah, legend. Legend upon uh, legend beyond belief. Yeah. Yeah, the Mick himself. You know, and uh, to have that happen to you was, oh, I was devastated, devastated. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody tapped me in the back, and it was uh, Billy. And he said, I saw what happened, and you're going to come back out there with me, and you're going to say sorry to the Mick. And I said, but I didn't do anything. And he says, just do what I said. And so I went back and I said, sorry, Mick. And he goes, well, God damn, how many mother effing baseballs are you going to ask me to sign? <laughs> <laughs> and so after, you know, after that, like he saw that I was with Billy and Billy was his leader. And Billy was his Sinatra. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so after that, me and Mantle had a, you know, very nice relationship. And I, and, I, and I was proud of it. I mean, you know, I, I, wasn't, I didn't use common sense because I, I was intimidated by the aspect, number one, of the making of the players asking me to do that. You know, what was I going to do? I was caught in the middle. But uh, you know what? It, that really, like, started my true friendship with Billy Martin. And then when he became the Yankee manager, you know, like I was, I was a son to him. It's a great story. And you had another great story where you were called into an office where Billy Martin and George Steinbrenner were in the office. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Which one? I mean, well, that happened. That it, it happened was about Reggie Jackson, you know, or at least you thought it was. And uh, and then Billy Martin gave you a, a lesson about that. Let me just say that that happened a lot. OK, I would I would be called in during that time because Billy's. Billy knew that him and Reggie talking things out always didn't work. And so he would uh, call me in the office all the time and say, would you tell, uh, would you tell the big guy, A, B, and C, things like that would happen. One time, uh, what you're talking about was the very first time Pete Sheehy said, the boss and Billy want you. And so I go in the office and Mr. Steinbrenner said, I see you have a, a good relationship with Reggie. And so then I looked at Billy and I said, why do you want me to stop? And Billy goes, no, 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 no. I see, I, I see how he is with you. So, hey, you treat a man the way they treat you. I can't stand the son of a, you know what, but I see how he is with you. So, it, you know, if that's gonna help our team, then you continue to be his friend. But be his friend because he's good to you. If I ever find out that you unfriend him because of your relationship with me, then we, we can't be friends because I couldn't trust you. And that was a very valuable lesson. I love that story because, you know, he didn't throw Reggie under the bus. He actually was making sure that 
his relationship with Reggie didn't get in the way of your relationship with Reggie. That speaks a lot. That's just, just such a great lesson. The thing that I, that I loved about it was the fact I get emotional. So, excuse me. But the fact that uh, Billy understood how much I loved him. That's great. That's just such a you know, fantastic story. And uh, I mean, for you to connect with such legends and for them to to actually take to you just says a lot about you, Ray. You know, it says a lot about your character and who you were and the acceptance that they had for you. Uh, something I think for you to be very proud of. I think it's just an amazing uh, story and to have all these memories and be able to t- tell these memories. And, and it really inspires other people because it just shows you that no matter what you think about yourself or no matter what other, some other people think about you, it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, break through and be accepted by people. So that's just a, just an extraordinary story. Do you have any other friendships uh, like that, uh, that you built with the Yankees that they're inspiring, you think? Well, let, let me just say, going back to Billy Martin, because people used to say, oh, a couple of people said that he was, that he was a racist and all that. And anybody that ever said that didn't know this man. It was at a period, whereas people used to say, you don't belong, watch your place, know your place. And Billy one strangled a guy because he had heard that the guy had done something like that to me and really put me down. And Fred Stanley knew about it and he told Billy and then Billy went into the Yankees. They had the press room at the old stadium and he saw the guy and uh, he pulled him outside. He said, take a walk with me, told the guy to the guy that worked for the Yankees, prominent guy. And he pulled him out of the, what do you call it? Pulled him against the wall and he started choking him. And he said, if you ever, ever talk to the kid like that again, he said, you're going to get a worse beating than this. And the guy didn't know how to take it because he, you know, everybody knew that Billy could be crazy and he didn't, and he'd take on anybody. You know, that, that was his reputation. Uh, Billy, uh, we can you can have a show just on Billy alone, but apparently no it's, it seems like he was a fair guy and he stood for what he believed in. And, uh, totally. you know, it wasn't about color or anything else. It was it was just, you know, Billy was going to treat everybody this a certain way, depending on, you know, your attitude back to him. <laughs> Didn't hey, make one, a difference. Yeah. One time how, how I was introduced to Patsy's, how I was introduced to Patsy's was. One time when I had gone through this situation, I had said to Billy that I wish I, I I told him, I said, I wish I was white. I said to him and he like slapped me and he said, "You, you never ashamed of your color. You know what I'm saying? And shortly after that, he took me to Patsy's to have dinner one night because he knew that Sinatra was going to be there and Sammy Davis Jr. About what year was that? That was 77. Wow. So he took me uh, over to Patsy's and Mr. Sinatra, he, he, Billy told Mr. Sinatra exactly what had happened. The whole, what do you call it? Number one, Mr. Sinatra was like giving Billy five. (laughs) I found that to be funny, but he gave him five because of the fact that Billy had strangled a guy. (laughs) And he said, he said, Dago, I would have done the same thing. (laughs) 
you know, and uh, and Mr. Sinatra was just wonderful, wonderful. And, you know, like he came at me real hard, you know what I'm saying? Because he said, Smokey, tell him what happened with me and you back in 46 or 47. You know, because he said that Sammy had told Mr. Sinatra the same thing when he had been. Uh, he wasn't allowed to stay at some hotel in Vegas or something like that. And these are really extraordinary lessons. Uh, I just love that. And so uh, is there, a, besides Billy Martin and George Steinbrenner is the, and Bloomberg, of course, you mentioned, is there any other Yankees that stand out to you as a mentor, inspiration and leader? Ray, Reggie, Reggie Jackson was a big brother. He was a big brother. When he was having problems at the beginning of spring training of 77, and I was like one of the few guys that would like talk to him. And we used to talk in Spanish because he, you know, he, Reggie's part Spanish. And so we used to talk uh, in Spanish all the time. We would get on the bus and that's what he would do. He was just a big brother. He was a mentor. He, you know, he was everything that you would want, want in a big brother. And he, and, you know, he was a Yankee, you know, and one of the best things that ever happened was during the season, he had me like answer his fan mail. So I was doing work for Reggie uh, I, he had me like uh, wash his cars. I, I would go shopping for him, you know, things like that. He lived on 79th and 5th, right across the street from Central Park in the Museum of Art. So all of a sudden I was put into this whole different world. You know what I'm saying? When I went into- Moving on up to the Upper East Side. <laughs> yeah. When I would walk into his building, I didn't know who I was gonna run into. I, I had become friends with the great Ann Bancroft. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I had become friends with Miles Davis. I had become friends with Cicely Tyson. Uh, not too friendly with Mel Brooks because he never said anything. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it was a whole, it, it was a, just a whole different world. And one day I, I, I go to Reggie's and he says, don't, don't take off your coat. We're going shopping. I said, oh, yeah? He said, yeah. And so then we leave and we go into this store, this closing store, men's closing store. And when we go in there, he says to the guy, I'll never forget, the name of the place was Jean-Paul Germain. Like, like I said, it was a fancy closing store back in, back in that day. And the guy that owned it was a guy named Jean-Paul. And then Reggie says, Jean-Paul, get him pants, shirts, a couple of jackets. And then he looked at me and he said, if he's going to be traveling with the Yankees, he's got to dress like a Yankee. He brought me all these things. You were sharp. You're looking sharp then, Ray, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was just unbelievable. It was a, it was just a, a, a beautiful gesture on, on his part. And, you know, I mean, we had a lot of alone time. So in the process of those alone periods, he, we talked a lot and he taught me a lot about life and and why he was the way he was and why he had to be mean in his own way but yet he could be great another way i mean there were times when we would be going up to yankee stadium and we would just stop at a hospital and he would go visit kids you know what i'm saying and and, and no no cameras if someone had called and said, there's a kid because of this, or there's a, you know what, he would write it down and that would be it. 
And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're stopping someplace to visit some kid. And Reggie did that. And you know what the incredible thing about it was that I had a great relationship with Thurman Munson like that. You know what I'm saying? The captain. When, whenever I would walk into the locker room, as soon as I would walk into the locker room, if Thurman was there before me, he would look up, we would get eye contact, and then he would put two fingers up and he would scream out, Ray, two cheesies. <laughs> and that meant that I had to run to the McDonald's across the street from the stadium. You know that McDonald's? Yeah, that's still there, yeah. It's still there. And and I would run, I mean, haul ass through center field, over the, what he called, through the center field gate, across the street. As soon as I would be walking into the McDonald's, the guy knew what I wanted. He would be putting me in the package. He would just throw it at me, you know, because he knew where they were from Munson. And I run back. Well, Thurman also had a reputation of a no-nonsense kind of tough guy, you know, uh, and a man's man, you know. Uh, tell us a little bit about that reputation and about how you David, saw your relationship with him and other ballplayers' relationship with him. Well, because, and it wasn't that, number one, nobody called him captain, okay? He didn't want to be called captain, okay? It just didn't happen. He And, and if you called him captain, he would say, what's with that captain shit? You know what I'm saying? And he didn't, uh, you would stop right there because he gave you the look. He had a look and you said, you don't cross that, you know? And Thurman was every bit that tough. You know, he knew how to handle himself. And there again, I had my alone time with him. And my alone time was when like, when I would be driving him to Teterboro Airport. Or sometimes we would be like in Boston and, uh, I would drive up to Boston and then from Boston, I would drive him to Teterboro. Okay. And then he would get on his plane and go home. How about that? Yeah. Great. And, and, and those, those rides, cause I usually had my, uh, a friend of mine who was also a bad boy and two Puerto Rican guys. Okay. And Thurman Munson. All right. And, and it was the best and it was the best. And, and I remember one time we were driving and my friend goes, Thurman had just had his son, okay, his baby boy. The other bad boy goes, hey, uh, Thurman, did you name the baby Thurman? And he goes, no. And I started laughing. And Thurman goes, and I didn't name him Juan either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, it sounds to me like you just got endless... Uh fond memories back in the old days. No. Uh, so, you know, in kind of closing the program here a little bit, what's important to Ray Negron in life? You know, what do you still want to accomplish and be remembered for? I don't know that yet because I still have dreams. You, you understand what I'm saying? I've written uh -huh. five, I've written five books. I've produced two movies and I'm poor. You know what I'm saying? But the one thing that these guys, the Thurmans, the Reggies, the Billy Martin and the great George Steinbrenner taught me, and that was that anything, anything is possible. Me and Billy had a, 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 a true love affair because we were the same. We were the same. Our fathers left us. Our mothers were tough, tough ladies. Our mothers were both named Jenny. You know what I'm saying? They were both four foot 11. Wow, you were meant to meet. 
You know what I'm saying? So we had all of that. And, uh, and, and I'm really like proud to say that Billy Martin Jr., his son to this day, I still thank him. I, I always say to him, man, I thank God every day that you used to loan me your dad, you know, because that was that, that was important to me. And, you know, I mean, Thurman just Thurman was just it was a wonderful person. You if you to know him was to love him. Most people didn't know him. They didn't get to know him. They didn't get to have that that beautiful one on one thing. And that today I, I I'm still very close to the family. That's just great. So tell us about any charities or any other way that people can connect with uh, you uh, and how they find your website. Well, let, let me just say this. One time, George Steinbrenner asked me, how come you how come you don't tell me that you that you sneak these kids into the park? We would have took care of them. And I said, because they're not a part of any organization. And he used to say to me, F labels. You understand? And what he meant by that was, we're, we're people first. In any way that we can help, any way that we can help, we help. And that's what I do. I, I, I don't get affiliated with this thing or that thing, but I will help this thing or that thing. Yeah, it's a lesson on no make assumptions, you know? You don't know what's on the other person's mind, you know? So. No, it, it, there's no, no question about it. And uh, and the and a valuable lesson that George Steinbrenner always taught me was do what you got to do first, and deal with the consequences later. Yeah, so I love that, that. You know, what apologize I'm later. Right for the good that you're trying to do today. As long as your heart is in the right place and you're That's doing right. the right thing, you can worry about the apology later. Just love yeah. that. Yeah. Because he used to say to me, Ray, I, I used to go in to find out if I can do one thing and do another thing from the standpoint of helping situations. And he and he would go, would you just do what the hell you got to do and, 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 and take your punishment later? I trust you. You see that circle, how that yeah. was? Yeah, love that. What a great I'll lesson. Punish you, I'll punish you later. I trust you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's just, uh, that's wonderful. So tell us, Ray, how do we, uh, people connect with you? Because you got the, great the, stories and very the inspirational. The best way to connect with me is on Instagram, Ray Negron Yanks. Ray, Ray Negron Yanks. Yanks. Okay. Okay, that's the best way because there, uh, you can text me on there. Uh, you can make your little uh, remarks on there. You see what I'm doing every day because I post three times a day. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, every day, you know what I'm doing or what I did that day. You know what I'm saying? And, and then if you have a situation, you can text me right there. If you have a problem, you can text me right there. If you need help with something, you can text me right there. And if I can help, I will help. If I can help, I'll let you know that I can't, but I'll try to find someone that can. Well, that's just great. And I have to say, we're going to end the show with two words. Go Yankees! Let's hope, brother. Thanks for being on the show, Ray. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love our listeners, and we believe you have greatness within you. If you like The Motivation Show, we appreciate you subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Check out EliMarcusSuccess.com 
to hear more inspiring shows, and to read our motivational blog. That's EliMarcusSuccess.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.